So the book of Hosea, we just started it last week. So if you, since you're, if you missed last week, uh, you're right, right in target. So we're going to review it real quickly and we'll go on with the rest. We'll try to finish chapter 1 this week. Uh, so Hosea, chapter 1. And if you're trying to remember where Hosea is, it's right after Daniel. It's one of the minor prophets. And we saw last week that the minor prophets... Um, basically focus on the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that's one reason why nobody or Satan does not want us to read these books because they all tell of his demise. They all tell what's going to happen. And so the minor prophets are just as important, if not more important, than the major prophets. It's just, The only reason they're called minor is because there's just not as much writing in them, so I, you know, most of them are fairly short books, but they are very important. And yet, most of the time, most churches, most Christians never read them. And yet, they tell if you want to know about what's going to happen at the second coming of Christ, read the minor prophets. So that's one reason we're going to go through it, and also because it's in it's in God's book. And so God wastes no space in His book. They're in there for a reason. And so uh, there's a, there's kind of a, a fad going around now. And I've I used to be here probably 30 years ago. I'm like I only want to study the New Testament because that's where everything is happening. That is where it's happening. Well, you can't understand the New Testament unless you know the Old Testament because the Old Testament will help explain what's going on in the New Testament and vice versa. Same thing with the book of Revelation. When you get Revelation pretty well down, it will just start unlocking the rest of the Bible for you. So there's two reasons why Pastor Brian teaches Revelation quite often. Number one, it's because we're getting ready for Revelation to hit this world pretty quick. So... Number one. And number two, when you do get, like I said, Revelation down in your mind and kind of have an idea of what's going on in Revelation, it will unlock the whole Bible for you. Okay? So we're going to read Hosea 1 through 5 real quickly and just go through a review. It says, The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So this guy prophesied for about 50 some odd years. Okay? And, uh, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. Okay, so let me stop here real quick. There's a lot of people that says this book is just an allegory. It's just a, a, a it's a fictitious uh, story because God would not ask anybody to do this. Well, guess what? It's in His Word, and guess what we're going to do? If it says it, we're going to believe it, unless it's impossible to believe. But here it says He is supposed to take a wife who's a prostitute. Now that's pretty rough, and yet. And children of whoredoms. What does that mean? We'll get into that in the next coming weeks. The kids wasn't his. Just put that in the back of your mind. Okay? Um, and the reason that he does this is God is trying to, to be, use Hosea as an object lesson 
for the nation of Israel, the ten northern tribes. And so he is living in the middle of this. We, we saw last week that, that a prophet is somebody who has the Lord's message. And he's in, not only has the message, but he's living in the message. So, and for Hosea, that is 100% right because he is in the midst of this thing. Okay? And so, let's move on. So he went and he took Gomer. That's, that's his wife's name, Gomer. That's, that's kind of wild. Ladies, be thankful your, your name's not Gomer, right? Now, I've always kind of talked about Bob as such a boring name, but, you know, I guess it could be worse. Okay. And uh, so he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblim, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and I will cause to seize the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Okay, so that's what we talked about last week. And I probably didn't do a really good job of explaining it. So what we're going to look today is just three things. Because every scripture in the Bible has three applications. It has a historical application. That's when it actually happened. It has a prophetical application of something that God has put this story in the Bible to show of something that's going to happen in the future. Okay, It has a prophetical application. And many times it may have two or three prophetical applications. And then it has an inspirational application. Now what is the inspirational application? Can anybody tell me what that, what that means? That's what we can get. Okay. We can be inspired to live lives that are given over to God. Yes. So, you know, the whole Bible is not written for us, but it is written to us. So even though things in the Old Testament will apply directly to the Jews and it will be their promises just for them, there are teachings that we can learn from that. Okay? And so, historical, so what happened in this 1 through 5 historical, let's kind of look at it, is Hosea, whose name means Savior, so don't miss that. Remember uh, Joshua in the Old Testament? Same name. It's the same, it's the same uh, name, and it's also the same name as somebody in the New Testament. Who is that? I'll give you a hint. It means Savior. So who in the New Testament means Savior? Jesus. Jesus, Joshua, and Hosea are basically the same name. Okay? And so um, here is Hosea. Here is this dude. And, he, and, he, and he's told by the Lord to marry a prostitute as an object lesson for everybody else. Now, I wonder if God uses our life as an object lesson for other people. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he does, and we don't know it. But I mean, I think I think uh, uh, Hosea knew this. Okay. Can I just add something? I was just I've been thinking as we've read this and thing, and all the prophets. You know, when God told them to do something, they went ahead and did it. They didn't argue and they say, "Are you sure that's what you want me to do?" And I think it's because they were so in tune with God. They relied on God for everything that they said, okay, God knows best. He knows what he's doing, so I'll go ahead and do it. But, like, we're the, sort of the opposite. We, you know, try to do things on our own, and we don't listen to what God wants us to do, and we don't really believe that he tells us what he wants us to do, but he does. We've got the word of God. Okay. And so, you know, like Hosea thinking, 
Oh boy, do I have to really marry a prostitute? I don't want a prostitute. But he's, but you know, he accepted it. Does the same thing about his arguing with God because he knew that God wanted the best for him and for Israel, primarily probably for Israel. That it was an object lesson for Israel. Right, but that that'd still be tough. Isaiah was told to go around naked. Right. <laughs> I mean, all of it, you know, if you really read the prophets, you see the things that God told them to do that are completely out of sync with what we think right. the prophets should be. But then, but... And what we would be doing. But look at Jonah. He, yeah, he didn't. He went the other way. So there were some that kind of went away, but most of them looks like they did what God wanted them to do. And so, so historically, he, he marries this lady, okay... And again, in the book of Hosea, he is talking to the ten northern tribes. And God calls them the nation of Israel. And he'll call the southern two tribes Judah. So, in the Old Testament, a lot of times, when it says Israel, he's talking about the northern tribes. Not always. But when they split up, that's how it went. So, here's what... Hosea pictures. He is a picture. Remember, we just finished the book of Ruth and how Ruth was a picture of... Who is she a picture of? The church. Boaz was a picture of Christ. Okay, so in this one, God's using pictures again, and he uses Hosea as a picture of God the Father. Okay? And Gomer, who do you think Gomer is going to be a picture of? Israel, the the ten northern tribes of Israel. So, Gomer pictures Israel who's prostituting herself by stepping out on the Lord by serving false gods. Okay? So, that's the historical application. Now, the prophetical application is their son, Jezreel, whose name means, and I mentioned this last week, scattered by God. God uses him for an object lesson. He says, you're going to name your son Jezreel because of uh, what Jezreel means. And Jezreel means scattered by God. God is going to scatter the northern tribes. So, number one, I don't know if you have this in your handout, God would scatter or destroy, we talked about last week, the house of Jehu. Jehu was the king of the northern kingdom. Now, uh, I mentioned it last week that Jehu got to be the king. He used to be the commander-in-chief of the army for the northern kingdom under the, the king of, by the name of Ahab. Ahab was the wicked king. Ahab was the one that was met, married to Jezebel. They were wicked. God told Jehu, I want you to go after his seed, after uh, Ahab's son, his next son. And he goes, I want you to wipe out the bloodline of Ahab. And so Jehu does it, and he becomes the king. But when he becomes the king, he wiped everybody out that had anything to do with it because here's what he did. He wanted to keep the power. So anybody that was you know, um, anybody that was a threat to him, he had them killed. Kind of reminds me, if you know anything about history, Stalin did the same thing. Any of these dictators around the world, when they get into power, anybody, they don't care if it's their mother, they will have them killed because they will do anything to keep the power that they have. The first king of the northern tribes was, was Jeroboam. 
Jeroboam did not want Israel to go back to 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 Jerusalem to worship. So guess what he did? He established two golden calves for the nation, the, the ten northern tribes, to worship instead of going back to Israel and worship at the temple. And the only reason he did that was, he goes, if they go back to Israel and worship at the temple, I'll lose them. So I better start my own false religion to keep them from going back so I can keep my power. Did he build those in Samaria? Mm-hmm. He built one uh, uh, in Ephraim, actually. I think Samaria was one, and one was might have been in Dan, but there was two of them. And, but he did them for the sole purpose of keeping the people in Israel because he did not want to lose his power. Of course, God didn't like that, so he had the next guy come up and overthrow him. Every king that the northern kingdom had got their power by overthrowing the guy in front, and every one of them was evil. Okay, so I'm giving you a little history lessons here. So, um, so both Jehu, so God uses Jehu to wipe out the, the throne of of Ahab and his descendants. Now God is going to uh, use uh, wipe out the house of Jehu in this valley of Jezreel. Okay, so number one, God was going to destroy the house of Jehu, get rid of those, and God was going to scatter the nation of Israel meaning having Assyria come in and take them over captive and bring them over to Assyria. So here, here's what's interesting. Both of these predictions, the king, the king's line was going to be destroyed and the people were going to be carried away captive to Assyria when this, when this was uh, prophesied by Hosea within 30 years. Both of them were taken. Both of them were fulfilled. Okay, so that's the prophetical application. So inspirational application. When God's people turn away from God, there will eventually be dire consequences. I don't know if that's in your handout. But, you know, God will give you... You know, that's a question I've always wanted to ask. How long of a rope will God give you before He yanks your chain? It depends upon you, I think. You know, you see people, and you see pastors, you see, you know, see people go down, and you're like, well, just how, what was the tipping point that God said, enough is enough? Well, with Hosea, in the book of Hosea in the Northern Kingdom, he's telling them, hey guys, you need to fix this. But after 30 years, it hadn't been fixed, and God finally pulled their chain. So we're going to see that's going to take place. So that's where we're at. The historical application, it's, it, this story actually happened. The prophetical application, what's going to happen in the future, and then the inspirational application, we better learn from this. Or we'll end up just like the nation of Israel. Okay? So let's go ahead and read Hosea chapter 1, 6 through the rest of the chapter, 6 through 11. And she conceived again, Gomer, and bare a daughter, and God said unto him, Call her name Loro. Hama, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. Verse 8. Now when she had weaned lo Ruhama, she conceived and bare a son, Okay, so son number two. And then God said, Call his name Loami, 
For ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it is said unto them, You are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. And then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Okay, so what's going on in chapter 1 is kind of a whole overview of the book of Hosea. From start to finish, we got it all in one chapter, and we're going to go back in the following weeks and try to break it down a little bit. But so what, what do we see here? Uh, there's three points I want to bring out today in Hosea 6 through 11. Number one is God's prophecies for Israel. We've been reading them last week. Hosea is telling the northern tribe, guys, wake up, because this is what's going to happen to you. Okay, So uh, they were God's prophecies for Israel. A, a daughter is born whose name means, did you catch it when, we, when I read it? No mercy. Lo Ruhama. If I'm pronouncing that right, lo ruhama. Okay, probably butchering it all over the place. But it means no mercy. Okay. And then they have a son. And the son's name means what? Not my people. Now, what was the first son's name? Scattered by God. So God is trying to get their attention right here. He says, I'm going to scatter you, I'm going to have no mercy, and you guys are not my people. Is that pretty harsh? Man, that is harsh. Not only that, he says that he will not be their God. Ooh, that that's that's really harsh. Okay, that's pretty bad. But let me ask you a question: Do you think the people cared about what Hosea said? Think about today. Does anybody care what the Bible and the preachers and pastors are saying? Kind of wonder at times. You know, it's like everybody just ignored you. Like, you know, who do you think you are? And and it seems like in our country right now, it's like anything is going. And not only that, even when you get caught doing something wrong, nothing gets done about it. That's what it seems like to me. That's what I told Carrie the other day. I said, I think I should just stop paying my taxes. She goes, oh, they will make sure you do that. She goes, and on top of it, you're a Christian because you know the Christian always gets nailed, and I've, I've talked about that too. But I, I kind of wondered, because I kind of wondered if this group made any notice, but I, I don't know. Well, can God do that? Can God just say, I'm going to scatter you, I'm going to have no mercy, and, and you're not going to be my people, and I'm not going to be your God? Can God do that? Would he do that? Now, wait a minute. I thought God was love. God is love. Have you ever had people tell you that? You, I've had people tell me, I just don't have enough love in me. I'm just, I'm just kind of mean. I'm kind of, kind of like Margaret Dennis and Menace again. But God's just. You're right. Can God do this? Well, okay, so turn over in your Bible to uh, Psalms 136. 
says, I'm going to use the Bible to prove my point here. 136. Psalms 136 says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy, what? Endureth forever. Now, wait a minute. Okay, let's keep going. Maybe that was just one verse. Okay. Verse 2. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for His mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His mercy endureth forever. To him who alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth endureth forever. To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endureth forever. And I'll jump down to verse 26. O give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endureth forever. kind of sounds like a song. I wonder if that was put to music. But anyway, it says here that God's mercy endures forever. So what do you mean? He, he's not going to be their God. That just blows that out of the water, doesn't it? So let's stop and think. Okay. The problem with me is I always have to start thinking and asking questions. And I'm like, okay, um, what about when Moses and... Who's the guy that went up on top of the mount with Moses? When, they, when he received the Ten Commandments? Joshua. Joshua, okay. So, when, when they went up on the top of the mount and, and they got the Ten Commandments, and I know Joshua didn't go all the way, he just went up part way, and then, and then they're coming down, and he picks up Joshua on the way down, and they hear stuff going on in the camp. Remember what was going on at the camp? You know, they had, they had made a golden calf, and the people dancing around it naked. And do you know that there were some people that ended up dying as a result of that? There was 3,000 men killed over that disobedience in the camp. Where was God's mercy then? Jo- uh, what about uh, at Baal Peor, Numbers 25, 1 through 9? 25,000 Israeli men was killed because they were starting to have sexual relations with the women of Moab and serving their gods because they connected it all together. Okay? 24,000. What about the defeats in the book of Judges? How about later on, even in what we're talking about where the Assyrians took away the northern tribes? Nebuchadnezzar came in 120 years after the northern kingdom was taken away and took Judah away captive. Where was God's mercy then? What about when Titus destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD? That's New Testament. Okay, let's get a little closer to home. What about when the Lord allowed the Jews to go through the Holocaust? Where was God's mercy then? And then what about when the Lord will allow the Jews to go through the tribulation? Okay. Well, here's the thing. I don't know if you have this in your handout. Do not forget that God's mercy only lasts if the person meets certain requirements. Okay? So you must meet requirements. Do you think Israel knew what they needed to do? 
turn, turn back in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 28. God had always given the, the nation of Israel the, the laws that they needed to do, the requirements that they needed to do. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, the whole chapter has to do with what God wanted them to do. Okay? And so let's just read just a little bit of it. Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. And then he gives them the curses that will come if they don't. Right, and it starts off in verse 3. It says, Blessed shall thou be in the city, and blessed shall thou be in the field. And you can just read down the list. It's a list of blessings all the way down to verse 15. And then verse 15 says, But if thou shalt come, but if it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. And then it goes through a whole list from 16. It starts out and it says, Cursed shall thou be in the city, and cursed shall thou be in the field. You're supposed to be blessed at the very beginning, right? And then it goes, I mean, it just goes on and on all the way down to the end of the chapter. Okay? So, so here you have, this is in Deuteronomy. So if that wasn't enough, go back to the book of Leviticus. Go back to Leviticus chapter 26. Now, chapter 26, I've got a note in my Bible that says, This is what happens when God's people fall away, or they do not keep His statutes and commandments, and they do not repent. Here's what happens in chapter 26. And then it says, Ye shall make no idols, nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. Ye shall keep my Sabbaths and my and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. And then it goes through a list. If ye will walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then, then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And your threshing shall reach into the vintage, and the vintage shall reach into the sowing time, and ye shall eat your bread to the full, and dwell in your land in safety, and on and on. It starts talking about blessings all the way down, uh, about halfway through. And then it starts talking about what will happen if you don't. So they've got two whole chapters in the Old Testament that tells them this is what you do. You want to get God's mercy, you want to get God's blessings, then you have to meet some requirements. And when you do those requirements, God will 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 uh, just make it where your life will be rosy. He'll he'll fight for you. He'll give you food. He'll he'll do everything, and he will bless you. Okay. But God knows what's going to happen. 
So in Leviticus, at the end of the chapter, let's go down to 26, let's go down to about 44. In fact, it's back up to verse 33. It says, The land also shall be left of them, and they shall enjoy her Sabbaths while she lieth desolate. Now they're talking about what happens if they're taken away captive without them, and they shall accept of the punishment of their iniquity, because even because they despise my judgments, and because their soul abhorred my statutes. So he's basically saying, okay, you guys didn't do what was right, and so this is what's going to happen. And you're going, it talks about a captivity that's going to take place, verse 44. And yet, for all that, when they shall be in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, neither will I adhor them to destroy them utterly and to break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. Okay? So, the only reason that God has not wiped out the nation of Israel is because he made a promise with Abraham and he made promises to David that he will not keep. If it hadn't been for that, God would have wiped out the nation of Israel a long time ago. Okay. That's the only reason they're still alive. Okay, So, and we can go back and study those covenants. There are some of those promises that God made to them were conditional. But some of them were not. And so, uh, basically, the promises that these two promises that he will not break have to deal with the land of Israel and they have to do with the kingdom and somebody on that kingdom, which will eventually take place at the end. You know, when Christ comes back, Christ will come back, they'll be back in the land and he'll be on the throne. And the reason he has to do that is because man can't do it, man cannot do a government the way God wants them to do it. They've, they've fallen every time. And, and we're seeing it in our life today. Man, this can't mess... They, just, they mess everything up they touch. Okay? So, what about us? Will God ever forsake the church? Now let's bring it home inspirationally. We've seen that He'll forsake Israel to a point. He won't destroy them. But He's going to you know, make them do the crime. He'll make them do the time, right? If they do the crime. So what about us? Well, it's kind of the same thing. Have we met God's requirements? What's the requirements that God has us to keep to get His mercy and His blessings? What do we have to do to be right with God? Crickets, crickets. Come on, okay. We've got to accept His Son as a Savior. That's it. That's it. I mean, we can go AWOL, but we're still in God's family, and that promise will never be fixed. Hallelujah, because if we, if that was not fixed in our life, we, we would be goners, okay? You know, uh, once we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have met the requirements for the church age to be in His family. Let's put it that way. Now, if we go AWOL from God from that, we're going to lose blessings, but we will not be completely out of God's will. So Romans 10, 9 shows us that. Uh, probably the, the best place to take somebody to see if they've accepted Christ as their Savior is in Romans 10, 9. It's real simple. It is a heart belief and a mouth confession. If you've done those two things, you have met the requirement that God has for us. Okay. Um, 
John 14:16 tells us that that he's going to send us a comforter and I love that in fact let's go there John 14 16 I'm sorry I said John 14 6 didn't I John 14 uh, 6 is a fabulous verse too but let's look at John 14 16 John 14 16 says and I will pray the father and he shall give you another comforter who's the comforter the Holy Spirit, that He may abide with you for a few days. Is that what it says? Forever. You know, that's one of my favorite verses because that tells me that our salvation is fixed. Forever. The Holy Spirit will reside with us forever. Now, I've talked to people that think you can lose your salvation. I said, show me. Where does it tell me? Where does it show you in the Bible that you can lose your salvation? Well, that's between you and God. I said, "Well, wait a minute. If God showed me how to get saved, and I could get unsaved, don't you think He would put it in writing?" Well, and so you go to Ephesians and you show them, "Hey, you're saved. You're sealed until the day of redemption. When's the day of redemption? Rapture. So how are you going to lose it?" How are you going to lose it if it says here, Jesus says, I'm going to give you the comforter, the Holy Spirit, and He's going to abide with you forever. Okay? So, God is really good to us. Okay? We may lose some blessings, but He's not going to take His mercy from us like He did Israel. Okay? So, let's look at, at number one, we've already looked at God's prophecies to the northern kingdom of Israel. Let's go back in, in, to Hosea and look at what he says about Judah. Because Judah is their sister. Now, how many of you have had sisters in here? You know, Have you ever had times in your life when you had somebody, maybe you went to school and the teacher goes, why can't you be like your sister? Or your mom goes, why can't you do this like your sister? And you just want to smack your sister? Or am I the only one? <laughs> You know, have you ever had that? So what do you think this was like when, when he tells them, this is what's going to happen to you guys, but let me tell you what's going to happen to Judah. Well, that's what's taking place here. And here's just what he says. Verse 7 says, But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah. Oh, I wonder if that got their goat. And I will save them by the Lord their God. And I will... And will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. So let's look at our spot here. He goes, number A, he, or number A, letter A, I will have mercy on Judah. Right after he just said he would have no mercy on, on Israel. B, it says, I will save them by my hand. And the reason for this, the reason is the Lord is there. You have a blank there. What do you think goes in that blank? The reason that the Lord's going to save them is that the Lord is their God. That was the difference between Judah and Israel. Israel was stepping out on God. They wasn't worshiping God. They were doing they were acting they were going after false idols, but yet Judah was still doing what was right. And if you go back and read through 1st and 2nd Kings and Chronicles and all that, it, Israel was carried away 120 years, roughly, before the southern tribe of Judah was carried away. Because Why? Because Judah was doing what was right all the way up until that 120 years later. So, but he says the reason, he says, and the Lord will save them. Let me go back and read this. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, verse 7, and will save them. 
I will save them, he says, the Lord says, by the Lord, their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. He goes, I'm not going to save Judah because they have a big army. I'm not going to save them because they call down to Egypt and and hire some mercenaries from Egypt to come up and save them from whoever uh, Judah is fighting. You know how God saved them? Miraculously saved them by himself. We're referring to here as Hezekiah. Remember the king Hezekiah in, in Judah? The Assyrians came up against him also, like they did the northern tribe, and they surrounded Israel and all that. You can go back and look at it, but yet um, God did a miracle and wiped out the Assyrian army, and they left Hezekiah alone. You can go back and read that story in 2 Kings 18 and 19. I don't think I will today for for time, but that's back when uh, the... The king of Assyria sends his guy over to to Judah. They have Jerusalem surrounded, and he tells them, hey, you guys need to give up to us and do this and that. And yet, God sent his angel and wiped out the army that was around Jerusalem. That's a really neat story. Go back and read that. Okay? So you'll see that. Let me see where I'm at. And we're moving right along. Do you guys remember the story? It's two chapters long. That's why I'm not going to get into it. When, when uh, Hezekiah is saved and the nation of, of Judah is saved, not because of any army they had. It was because God did a miracle. And uh, I think it's when... Uh, I don't know if it's when the king goes back to his land and, and his own sons kill him, the king of Assyria. But that's a neat story. Go back and read it. It's uh, listed in your notes there. So... Number three, and we'll keep moving along. Number three, we're going to talk about God's prophecies to Israel in the future in verses 10 and 11. So all along we've been reading doom and gloom and doom and gloom to Israel. Then he throws in this little deal about, but Judah, your sister, you know, I'm going to have mercy on her. And then at the end of that, he talks about, he just does an about face in verse 10 and 11. Because it, it's, you're flying along. Of course, you have a, a paragraph marking in 10. And the whole context changes. Because he says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea. Huh? He just said he's going to have them taken away captive. He just said they're basically going to be destroyed. So what's going on here? Let me keep reading it. And they cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it is said unto them, Ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. Okay, so things are turning around here. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel... Be gathered together. Okay? And appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. So, let's look at some of these. A, I don't know if this is in your handout either. So, my handout's just a little bit different than yours. So, I tried to put some more notes in for mine. So, it says, uh, God's prophecies to Israel in the future are in 10 and 11. And first of all, we see that the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea. Complete complete about face B they will be called the sons of the living God completely different than what Hosea is telling them C 
The children of Israel and Judah shall be united. Ooh, that's different. Because in, in the book of Hosea, they're separate. Two different nations. You got the ten northern kingdom, and you got the southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin. So there's, they're separated. But here it says they're going to be united. And then it says that the children of Israel and Judah shall have one leader. That wasn't then. So this is basically prophecy at the end of this. And then E, it says, they shall both be in the land. They won't be in captivity. They'll be in the land. So we see that Israel had three strikes against them. And God was willing to have them to be taken captive in a foreign land as punishment. And and so what can we learn from that? Inspirationally, if you don't correct your sin... God will allow you to do the crime or the punishment for the crime. You'll reap what you sow. You'll reap what you sow. Still, God keeps his end of the agreement. Today the Jews today. Now this was this was about seven hundred BC. I'm sorry. No, 80. Get my mind around this. This was 700 years after Christ. It was after... Right? No. no. We're before Christ. i got to get my mind around this. So this is B.C. This is even longer than I'm thinking. They were carried away captive. 120 years after that, the southern tribes were carried away to Babylon. And yet, God allowed them to come back into the land. And yet, they were here through the time when Jesus walked on the earth and yet they were scattered again. And it wasn't until 1948 that they became a nation again. But for the majority of the time, since Hosea, since captivity, the majority of the Jews have still not believed and done what was right, even till t- today. Today, the nation of Israel does not believe that Jesus Christ is their Messiah. Do they? And that's sad. I look at that and I'm like, how can you not see that Jesus is the Messiah? You have the Bible. You have the Old Testament. You have the, even, they don't have the New Testament because they don't believe it. They got the Old Testament. They won't even believe the Old Testament. A few years ago, there was an archaeological dig in the middle of Israel and they found an, an altar and they couldn't figure out what it was. So there was a dig there from the University of of Israel, from Jerusalem, I don't know if it's Tel Aviv or, or Jerusalem, and they had this big dig going on, and so they still couldn't figure, they, they go, it's, it's, it's an altar, but we don't know what it was for or whose it was. And then one of the students that was there said, well, why don't you look in the Bible and see if you can find it? True story. So they do. They go back to the book of Joshua. They find where he puts a huge altar up between two mountains, which just happens to be in the same spot that they're at. It's it's the dig that they're at. And my whole point in showing that story, and they finally figured it out. It was the altar that Joshua put up there. But the reason I throw that out there is nobody that... 
the archaeologist, I can't say archaeologist, the main archaeologist of the dig and of the, of the college, they didn't believe the Bible. And yet they're in Israel with the land there, with all the things there, and with the, the Old Testament, and they still don't believe it. And even to this day, most people in Israel do not believe the Old Testament. It's sad. It's really sad. And because they don't believe it, God can't bless them, can He? He just can't do it. But yet, God still keeps His bargain. God is still going to make sure that they get back into the land, they get back into the the capital, becomes the capital again, which we just saw a couple years ago. Trump put the, the capital back at Jerusalem. And yet, we see things taking place, and they're getting closer and closer, okay? Uh, but, but here's the sad part. The Jews will still reap what they're sowing all the way up until the point that they accept Christ as their Savior, which will not happen until the end of the tribulation, okay? And so they're going to suffer the consequences as a result, Okay. But God will keep us into the bargain. A, a small group will accept him as Lord and Savior, and then God's will get everything restored again, just like he said he would. But this, like I said, the sad part is there's going to be a lot of Jewish people between now and then that still die and go to hell because they're not accepting the Old Testament. Okay. They had to do what God said. They had to meet the requirements for God to bless them. And the reason they're not getting blessed is because God, they are not meeting those requirements. Okay, Thank Christ that our salvation is fixed. And we don't have to keep doing the requirements. We did the requirements and we accepted Him as Lord and Savior and we, we, our salvation is fixed because if not, we'd be in the same boat. We would all be in the same boat. So God is good to us. He is so good to us. He's good to me. I mean, look at all the mistakes I've made. And God is still good to me. Why? Because I've accepted His Son. And you know what? That's the main reason why He's not... Why, why the Jews are not being blessed because they have not accepted his son. So from 700 years B.C. all the way up till now, the same thing is going on. But God will bring it back around. So let's pray and we'll go from there. Father in heaven, we thank you for the book of Hosea. We thank you for the prophecies that we see in that book. We thank you that you know, the, the main thing, that the reason why people are not blessed is because, uh, basically because of what this book says and what the book of Hosea says, because they did not make uh, the Lord God their God. And Lord, we'd so, we're just so thankful that we you've uh, sent the gospel to, to the Gentiles, to us, so that we can accept you as Lord and Savior. And I thank you for everybody that's in this room. Lord, help us to realize just what we have in Christ and the blessings that we have in Christ and the things that you've given us and the things and the promises that you've given us. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to realize what we need to be doing is tell other people about Jesus so they can accept him, so they can meet the requirements and they can know him as Lord and Savior. So I pray for that today. I pray you bring people in our lives that we can be 
be a witness for. And I, I just pray that you would use us to, to be a, per, a blessing to the people around us by giving the gospel out. So I pray for our, our main message today. I pray that uh, our church would constantly be involved in getting the message out so people can meet the requirements. And I just thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that you, you find us faithful to be uh, a part of that. And in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you.